0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel We're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation of the new monthly feature, doing the tiers in each conference separately, so Western Conference, Eastern Conference. And my guest is Ben Gulliver of Sports Illustrated, very talented national writer, and somebody who watches all of these teams obsessively like I do, so wanted to have him on to go through it. A, a really fun conversation, and something that was inspired by the one I did with Kevin Pelton of these back at the beginning of January, is that we go top to bottom and bottom to top. So what that means is that get the top of the West early, then go all the way down to the bottom of the West, and then go from bottom of the East all the way up to the top, so kind of talk about some of those teams in the bottom of this a little bit together. One note that I have to make is that we recorded this back on Tuesday, but because of the Lee Jenkins podcast, I pushed this back a little bit. That means that we don't talk about the Kyle Corver trade or the impact of it. However, we do insinuate, Ben gets a lot of credit for this, for that they were going to do something, and they ended up doing something between when we recorded and when it comes out. This episode is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. You can go to ziprecruiter.com slash sportsfan. And you can post jobs for free. Audible, you can get a, a month of free, a month free trial with a free audiobook at audible.com slash try now. And Blue Apron, fantastic food delivery service, blueapron.com slash real You can check out all three of those, but you can do so after you check out the podcast, which this one runs about an hour and a half. It's a hefty one, but that's how the Tears podcast almost always is. I hope you enjoy it.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. How's it going?
1: It's going well. I'm excited to do the tiers with you. We're going to start with the Western Conference. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go top to bottom in the West and then bottom to top in the East. I think that's a good way of doing it. Also kind of gets the bad teams together and we can talk about the the little bit of a melange that's there. But my basic first question to you is, well, actually, I guess before that is, how did you define the tiers? Did you do it on expected regular season success, how good they are as teams or whatever? Well, usually I'm in the mode of let's do it like where they are right now. Okay. Uh, But
0: I think that this is going to be an exception to that rule just because we've had some weird injury things that have kind of thrown the West upside down a little bit. So instead, I try to do a little bit more forward looking in terms of playoff ceiling, especially for the teams that were kind of in that two to seven range, because I think that's the most interesting range in the West, right?
1: I would agree with you. Yeah, certainly.
0: So I I kind of weighted mine towards who do I think can make it to the Western Conference Finals, give them a bump. Who do I think looks like easy first round out? Uh, or easier first round out, maybe drop them a little bit. Uh, so I came up with a total of six tiers, including the teams that are obviously not going to make the playoffs.
1: That's great. And I think you already kind of teed up for the first basic question. And my, my just to clarify, mine is basically the same methodology. I kind of use regular season and then surprise tests. So basically, if if I would be surprised if a team finished above or behind another team. I generally, that's where my lines of demarcation are. So the first question is, are the Warriors by themselves? Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know Spurs fans are probably still clinging to opening night, but I think we've got enough evidence, especially because, I mean, I don't know if you saw the tweet last night that they were the Warriors PR put out like the first team uh, in three straight seasons to win at least 30 games out of their first 35. I mean, that's just unreal. And I'm not even sure the Warriors have been playing that well, you know, so to be be 30 and five and say like an A minus or a B plus by their scale, I think that's deserving of, you know, a tier unto themselves. And just when you do the mental game of like, how do these guys lose a playoff series to any of the teams in the West? There's so many ifs or like scenarios that you have to add on top of to that equation to like make it come out uh, that it almost gets kind of comical. Like they've solved to me, they've solved their most important things. They've gotten Durant comfortable. Sure, Curry could probably be doing more within that context, but the offense is really not an issue. Defensively, they've shown a, a very high ceiling maybe there's question marks late game against Cleveland or you know maybe you're still concerned with you know front court depth in terms of you know the strain that's being put on guys like Durant and uh, and Draymond but those are minor quibbles and i think when you're looking at whether it's Houston, San Antonio, the Clippers, whoever else you might have in in the next tier down, you really have to stretch to make a case for any of those teams to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series.
1: The Spurs in particular, I think, are disadvantaged. Obviously, they have that great opening night game, and that is they deserve credit for that. I'm not trying to knock it at all. But The Spurs have disadvantages that are important to note in both the regular season and in the playoffs. So in the regular season, the biggest distinction is that just they don't care as much about regular season success. So if you were to say that they would finish above the Warriors, I would think that would involve the Warriors falling to where the Spurs end up rather than the opposite way. As great as they were last year, this is a fundamentally different team. I think back to some of the the loss to the Bulls, then the, the game they lost over the weekend to the Hawks. While the Warriors have lost games like that, they're fewer and further between. And then in the postseason, San Antonio gets the benefit of being the deepest team in the league, in my opinion. And they can't use that as much to their advantage, especially if Pop is reluctant to move away from his least effective players. And I feel like I should just name Tony Parker blatantly, so I'm going to name Tony Parker.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and it could be a situation where those guys are old enough to where they remove themselves from the equation, but I th- I think they still run up to the problem of, Who's their go to money five? And, you know, is that team going to be able to match up and keep up with Golden State's best five? Uh, and to me, kind of a transition year for them, whoever their best five would be matching up with Golden State's going to leave off some fairly big name from their group, probably Powell. Then all of a sudden, you know, do they look as deep as they might on a random, you know, Wednesday night? Uh, in early january i 'm not sure, so I still kind of question their ceiling you know i haven 't really been that impressed by their individual victories, like even uh, you know along the way, yes, their record and point differential are both sterling, but I thought you know when they played the Clippers last week, I saw them in person. I kind of came away with a very blah feeling. I mean, it wasn't like they were catching the Clippers at a great time. It's kind of an undermanned Clippers team. They've been going through all sorts of issues. And, you know, they, they really just kind of left me wanting and kind of questioning, like, well, is this group really, you know, who we thought they might be or, or who their record suggests they are? So, I don't know. I guess uh, as great as Kawhi's been, you know, as as nice as, as it is to see Danny Green bounce back the way he has bounced back, it's just still really hard to think, like, they're going to be able to outgun the Warriors, uh Especially if they don't have home court advantage,
1: they haven't had that many opportunities recently for real statement games. There, there aren't that many teams that are of that of that ilk, but they haven't played. I don't think they played Cleveland at all. Have they? I don't think they played Cleveland at all. They played the Rockets in mid December. That game, the Spurs won that game. I, from what I remember, it was it was close, but it I you know it wasn't a dominant performance in any way, shape, or form. And their best game, to my knowledge, is opening night. And that always gets hard because opening night is an anomaly for everyone and the Spurs were great and and that's wonderful. But you get you get onto the point for me that I I think is the most compelling with the Spurs, which is that their best five might involve fewer of their starters than almost any good team I can remember. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. And I think you had a point with with Tony Parker. I mean, I I think it's really hard to envision him being part of that best five. You know, I, I would actually probably put Patty in there at this point and you know that you can just kind of make the the lineups from there but any way you do it I think they're going to struggle at that five position when Golden State goes small right I mean I think that's still going to be a a big time Achilles heel for them and that means Powell's going to be watching uh, I think almost certainly Uh, I just don't think the the level of physicality that they had on opening night to me is sustainable especially if you've got Durant really fully comfortable at that four spot and really defending at a high level like if your four or five is Durant Green. Uh, and you're the Spurs, and you're trying to match that with Gasol Aldridge. I just don't see how that ever works.
1: That was also one of the best games Jonathan Simmons has played in his NBA career. The best if, game
0: of his life. I mean, there's and, no question.
1: And, about it. And so if he plays that way four times in a seven-game series, the Spurs can absolutely win. But we can't expect that based on, the, based on the precedence and based on how much Pop plays him. And that's the other huge thing here is that I think Deadman a lot of times, has been their best center just in terms of what they need from a center. But I don't think pop has the i don't want to call it courage because he certainly has the courage but just that's not his way to have to give deadman that kind of a leash and to pull pow in that sort of a way to do it especially considering the continuity that they've maintained for better or for worse with their starting lineup one really crazy idea that i would love to see them do more often is having their two guards be Manu and danny green because danny green is best to me defending ones so you put him on the one, and especially when you have Kawhi and, and Lamarcus in the game, which a lot of times they will, you don't need that much shot creation from a nominal point guard, because those guys are ISO heavy, those guys are doing a lot of different stuff. And so if you have Danny Green on the one, you have Manu there, he can just do what he does so well, you can make that work. So maybe for me, one of the fives I would love to see them do, I don't think they have played this at all this year, is Danny, Manu... Probably John Simmons, you could go a couple different routes with that fifth guy, Kawhi and LaMarcus. Yeah, so one thing on the Deadman,
0: I think that's a guy you can play like fairly big minutes in the playoffs, even though he's sort of a one-way guy. But I just think that that the hurdle becomes when you have to play the Warriors and you you probably have to keep at least really hopefully five offensive threats on the court at all time, right? Like Legitimate offensive threats if you're going to kind of keep up there. And that's where he becomes an issue. But I think if we're going to flip this sort of in San Antonio's favor, their lineup combinations, the one you just mentioned, playing a guy like Dedman, uh, and just the fact that they know what they're supposed to do. I mean, the institutional knowledge of a lot of their guys including some of the older guys who maybe aren't going to be there every single night in a series, but are probably going to give you at least like two or three strong games, uh, whether that's Manu or Tony, I think that's still enough to keep them if not at the front of the second tier in the west right now then very close to the front and if you're sizing them up against the Rockets for example where maybe there's questions about how their style is going to translate in the postseason or if you're sizing them up against a Grizzlies team who they've beaten in the past in the postseason or you're sizing them up against a Clippers team who's kind of a question mark right now I think it's not a huge slight to say the Spurs aren't on the same level as the Warriors and you know sort of the Uh, The bronze medal for them is that they're probably at the top of that second tier, right?
1: They are. And also, other than Kawhi, they are the team that is least dependent on health. Because, I mean, they need Kawhi. But other than that, they can mix and match guys in regular season, in the playoffs. You know, as we said, if, they're, if their best fives don't involve a lot of their starters, that means they don't need a lot of their starters healthy. And it is an issue that they have so few good or great defenders on this team. Like, that is something that if, let's say, Danny Green went out, they would struggle with. But they have enough that I think they can survive it. Whereas the Rockets, I mean, we saw the sea change that happened with them when they got Beverly back just because it allowed their rotation to start making sense
0: for sure. And I think Danny Danny's defense on the point guards is a great thing in their favor because whether that's going to be Harden or 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 Paul, you know, potentially in a second round series, I mean that's going to really help uh, in a big time way and it's not going to, you know, take those guys out. I mean, it's not like a chess move where okay, now you're going to have to make do without your best player on the other end, but he is going to be able to be, have some level of success in limiting them. So I think, you know, matchup-wise, uh, if I'm the Spurs or their fans, you know, I'm feeling like the Western conference finals this year are realistic, you know, and, and for a transition year where I didn't totally know what to expect from them. I think that's pretty solid.
1: Absolutely. It's solid. Especially when you consider that a lot of the weaknesses that we expected are still there. Big man defense, is still a weird issue. You know, their their defense isn't what it was. Their offense has been pretty good. Not great, but they're still that much better as a regular season team. And theoretically, they can narrow it down as a postseason team than a lot of these squads. And so we'll go from there to who else is in your tier two. I agree with you that I have the Spurs at the front of the class, but I'll let you give yours before I give mine. Yeah,
0: so the rest of my tier right now, this could be controversial picks. I'm not sure. But I, I think right now I want to put Houston and the Clippers Uh, despite the Clippers sincere, uh, significant woes here recently. I want to put them both in that class because I can see either of those teams making the Western Conference Finals uh, without too much mental stretching. When I look at kind of the next group, whether it's Utah or Memphis, it gets a little bit more difficult for me to see those two teams win two series against some pretty quality competition in the West. Uh, So if we're looking at this as sort of long-term, highest ceiling, I still have uh, the Clippers and the Rockets uh, in the second tier with the Spurs.
1: I have no problems with that whatsoever. The Jazz are the complication, but we don't have a real precedent for them healthy. So I don't want to put them in the tier with teams like the Spurs and the Clippers in terms of postseason success when we just don't know. I think that they have the highest ceiling of any of those teams, but... When it's all speculative, I can't do it yet. And the, the starters, I think it's like 26 minutes that their best five has played together this year because of injuries. So I believe in it, but until we see it for even like five to 10 games, I can't put them there.
0: Yeah. And Utah actually probably on a podcast with you maybe like a year ago. I think I said they had a shot at making the Western Conference Finals this year. I still want to believe that, but we also don't know how their offense is going to operate when all the pieces are together in the postseason context, right? And then what happens if a guy like Rudy Gobert gets into foul trouble uh, in the playoffs? How do they adjust? I mean... How does Quinn
1: Snyder run his rotations? Like, we haven't seen any of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, they have a lot of good players, but we've seen coaches that just kind of throw stuff together that panic and make weird decisions.
0: Yeah, and then how did they hold up under the pressure, right? Like, they... Let's be honest. They folded down the stretch of last season, like, pretty hard. And so... Now you're in a first round series uh, against a really good team. I mean, no matter where they kind of fall, I don't really see them passing the Spurs. Best case scenario, maybe they're the three seed, but if they're in a four or five matchup, they're going to be facing a team that's a lot more experienced than them that knows playoff basketball. You know, can I see them winning one series? Absolutely. But I'm not sure I can see them winning two. I guess that's what I keep coming back to. You know, maybe they, they rip off this crazy second half run once guys are back and once they really have George Hill and maybe their offense takes off or sorry, their defense takes off and it's sort of the best in the league. And we want to revisit this after the all-star break. Uh but for right now, I'm not quite ready to crown them.
1: It's not responsible to at this point. And I have been of the belief, I think I even maybe said this before the season, that the Jazz if their goal is long-term playoff success not just, you know, winning a round, i would much rather be out of the 4-5 series than in it even if that requires not having home court. Like i would rather be the 6th than the 4 if i were them.
0: Oh, you want them to play the shenanigans late for the seedings?
1: If that's what it comes to, but we don't know if it's going to come to that because the Jazz, i think they match up pretty well against everyone else but the Warriors can just go small and utah has trouble with that they played the warriors tough the last couple of years but that's also a whole different thing in terms of experience and the way the refs are going to call it and everything like that so i think that they would have I i don't particularly love the idea of a jazz rocket series but i would feel more confident in that and then a Spurs series to come than whoever they'd face in the four or five and then the warriors
0: yeah i hear you i think Jazz Clippers is sort of like the most interesting debate right now because I don't think there's any question like Utah looks a lot better than the Clippers do at this very moment. And if they had to play, even if you give them, you know, Chris Paul healthy, if you had to play this series right now, I'd probably lean towards, you know, Utah fairly strongly, even with whoever they, they aren't going to have. But, you know, once Blake's back, I mean, once you're getting lots of foul calls, you know, once you're, you're getting the treatment in the postseason uh, from the officials, like these guys have kind of come to to receive over the years, I think that's where it gets tricky. And then, do you know guys like Hayward and, and Rodney Hood? I mean, their first time kind of in the limelight uh, as major guys facing defenses that are sort of you know locked down to slow them down to make their lives difficult. Uh, and without this like wide range of supporting offensive pieces, does that start to you know grind down a little bit? Do they start to look maybe like you know the Raptors offense in, in, in previous postseasons where it's just a struggle to get anything? Clean or easy. Uh, That'd be my concerns for Utah at this point.
1: Those are fair. One point that I feel it'll probably be obvious to most people, but I think we need to make because we both have the Clippers in terms of ceiling in that tier two is that their starting five has been one of the best lineups in the entire league. And if your starting five is really good, as their healthy starting five is, those guys will get more minutes and probably more minutes together in the playoffs. So that's what really keeps them in tier two. I don't love their bench. I particularly don't love their bench in the playoffs, but. When you can throw out a lineup that is probably better than their counterparts, and they're probably getting 35, 38 minutes a game, I'm good with it. I'm good with having them wherever you need them to be, except except the Warriors, because the Warriors have their number.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think that their bench looks good this season only when they're at absolute 100% strength, right? like They need to have everybody healthy, and then light doses of the bench can get you by. Uh, And they have a few helpful guys in spots like, you know, Austin Rivers. You can turn him loose every once in a while defensively on the right matchup. You know, Felton is, you know, competent on the ball to give Chris Paul uh, breaks in ways that maybe they haven't had the last couple of years. I think their bench at full strength this year is better. And it has been in previous seasons, which is, you know, certainly damning with faint praise. But, you know, that has been an issue because like a guy like Blake Griffin has been running to the ground in, in previous playoffs just because they couldn't take him off the court. So they need, you know, their, their starting five for sure has to be all healthy and 100% going into the playoffs. And that's a question mark because, you know, Blake, uh, that injury kind of came out of nowhere. Apparently he was trying to play through it for a little bit, according to the team. Uh, it just he just couldn't. Uh, so what does that mean now? Once he gets back, when is he up to full strength? Remember last year, there was all this hope that he'd be back well before the playoffs. It just didn't happen. Uh, certainly, he's got more of a grace period this year in terms of you know his current timeline. Uh, but nothing's guaranteed as we as we saw last year. I mean, his timeline just kept dripping and dripping and dripping, and next thing you know, he's basically plays two games and he's done. So. I'm not super confident about keeping the Clippers in the second tier, but I do think that their peak play in terms of how well they've looked, especially early this season when they had everybody healthy, still warrants it.
1: If you were to pick among the Spurs, Rockets, and Clippers, because that's what your tier two is, which two you would like to see most in a potential second round 2-3 series which two would it be
0: oh man uh that's a really really good question i mean they're all any of those matchups would be entertaining i think at this point to me houston is kind of the story of the season in terms of the most interesting team the most interesting develop uh development strategically just personality wise how quickly they flipped it uh, from last season when they were everybody's most depressing team so i actually think it would with, be with
1: not that much pers- that much player turnover you know, oh, like yeah. they had some, but it wasn't like they cleaned house and all these guys are gone. They just reshuffled and kind of reorganized in a way that made sense. Yeah, they cleaned
0: one locker and it worked out perfectly, right? Uh, Dwight <laughs> Howard. But, you know, Howard, uh, I think Harden to me is somebody I'd want to see in the playoffs as long as possible this year. And I think, oh man, it's tough. Be- between. Well, I'll, between the I'll, tell, you, I'll numbers, tell you
1: one for me. I don't want to see Spurs Rockets. Okay. Because I feel that the Spurs have exactly the right personnel to shut the Rockets down because of their one on one defenders. And Pop could come up with a strategy to short circuit their offense because their offense is predicated on, on Harden being amazing. And there might not be a player more suited to taking that away than Kawhi. And Danny Green can just spell him. You can do that. It's a lot, sim- it's similar to how the, how they shut down the Warriors way back in 20, that was 2013 where they just kind of sicked on him and he couldn't get out of it. And Harden's a great passer and they have other guys and I think they could make it work. But I would find all of the other series more engaging. I would love to be wrong. Also, if the Rockets made that a series, it'd be awesome. Like the crunch time stretches would be fantastic. But for me, it still spurs Clippers because I think back a lot to that series when the, the Clippers beat them in that game seven, Chris Paul makes the shot. And then there wasn't really a catharsis from that because then they lost to the Rockets. And yeah. I think that we, as basketball fans, are, are owed one more of those to yeah. just wow these teams. And this is this might be the last year that it would really count for that.
0: No, I hear you. I think I'd actually go Rockets-Clippers because That'd I know be the, 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 the Clippers really want the Rockets again. I mean, obviously, the, they feel like they left it all on the table. I mean, you know, all the three-win jokes, like, definitely apply there. And I also think, like, your point on the matchups in Spurs-Rockets is a great one. And I also think just pace-wise... I definitely trust San Antonio in the playoffs to control the pace of the game and control how things are going to unfold and kind of bottle up Houston's you know speed approach better than I would you know basically any other team in the West, with the possible exception of Utah, that's had some pretty good success this season against Houston doing that. So I guess from that standpoint, I think Rockets Clippers would have the most fireworks. So maybe that's why I'm going to pick that one.
1: That's a great one too. Before we move on to the next part of the Western Conference, I want to tell you a little bit about ZipRecruiter, one of the newest sponsors to Real Jam Radio. ZipRecruiter is a great way to find a job, but it is also a great way to find the right person for your job. And considering we're just at the beginning of the new year, it is a great time for you to be looking for that as an employer. And posting your job in any single place is not the best way to find quality candidates. If you want to find the right person for your job, you need to post it in all the top job sites, and you can do that with ZipRecruiter. It posts to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter. If you find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. Just post there and watch them watch the candidates roll in. And the other great part about ZipRecruiter is that you can screen candidates and rate them quickly within their program itself. So it is a great way to not only send out the message a lot, but also be able to filter through it and find the right person. And with ZipRecruiter, you can find out why it's being used by over 1 million businesses by trying it out for free you go to ziprecruiter.com/sportsfan and that not only tells them that you came from us but you also get to post your jobs absolutely for free so this is one on the employer side but it's a site that i personally have used as a prospective employee and really was impressed with the interface and everything like that so again you go to ziprecruiter.com/sportsfan and you can post jobs on ziprecruiter for free and now back to ben Golliver. tier 3 I'm i guessing you had a lot of trouble with this?
0: Not actually that much. I had the hardest time trying to decide, do the Jazz go in the second tier or the third tier? And and we talked through that one just pretty thoroughly. But to me, the Jazz are in that third tier by default. They're with the Grizzlies, and that's my whole third tier.
1: The Thunder were the team that I struggled with. But this is where I I actually did kind of tiers separately in my brain for Regular season success and playoffs, and for me, that's actually clarified this. Where I have the Thunder in this group for the regular season, just because they're good and they they've gone through some stuff. But in the postseason, they're a tear down because they are not going to be able to beat the best of the best in that sort of circumstance, and that aligns them with a lot of the other teams that are below them.
0: Yeah, exactly why I put them in the fourth tier, because everything that you just said about the Spurs being able to kind of bamboozle the Rockets and and maybe take away what they do best, I think that the best defenses in the Western Conference even one-sided teams maybe like say like the Utah Jazz where their offense isn't quite as good i think that they will be able to lock in and make life difficult enough for Westbrook and that he doesn't have enough help barring a mid-season trade where he's going to be able to be the one-man show that actually produces four wins out of seven i, I think that's basically what it comes down to that doesn't mean he can't put together uh, heroic performances and you know have five straight triple-doubles in a series and get a couple of big home wins i just think they're going to be able to foil what Oklahoma City's doing just enough where to me they look like a one and out team.
1: Yeah, one and one and out for you, meaning that they go and the, they lose in the first round, or that they exactly. win the first exactly. round. No, they go
0: no, no, out. exactly. Like they're they're just going to be out in the first round. I, I have a hard time seeing them win a it series. It reminds
1: and, it reminds me a lot of Portland, and Portland was that team last year. It Was just that the the one got hurt. I mean, I thought the Clippers had that series basically oh, won did. until until Blake and Chris got hurt, and so there's no shame in that, especially when you're where Oklahoma City was. They lost their best player for nothing, and going out in the first round would be an accomplishment in many ways for this team, especially considering they got Russ to agree to an extension.
0: There is zero complaining that should be happening in Oklahoma City. Like, that team is one of the top three or four most watchable teams in the league, despite losing one of the most watchable players in the league for nothing over the summer. Uh, and having
1: and- no shooting. Like, yeah. <laughs> how is a team that can't shoot that enjoyable to watch? I don't understand how it is, but it's still absolutely true.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. And I don't think that they would be too upset either, as long as... They take their shot in the first round. I think that most people there are happy. We did kind of skip over the Grizzlies. I mean, are are you with me that they're pretty solidly in that third tier?
1: Sure. They prove themselves in terms of being so good without Conley that they're more resilient. So in terms of regular season, and then they have enough horses to be a compelling playoff team. So I, I wouldn't trust them in a series against the best of the best, but they put a scare into everyone and... They could win some of those series, but I wouldn't expect it, which makes them a spiritual analog to the Jazz. You know, like until we know more about Utah, that's what we have to expect. And Utah has the capability to move beyond that station, whereas for Memphis, I think they're more of a spoiler than a favorite.
0: Yeah, I just think if we got into a series where Memphis and Utah were that 4-5 or series— I just think that the Grizzlies would somehow find a way. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how many bloody noses would be involved. I don't know how many uh uh Zach Randolph bullying moments would have to come, but they would just find a way to do it. You know maybe that wouldn't be the case next year. you know maybe this would be like the the training wheels here for Utah and next year, they'd be in a different spot, but uh, it's just hard for me to see them losing that series, especially with how well Mark's playing uh, and then how well they, they perform in you know, clutch and crunch time situations. I mean, uh, two polar opposites. I mean, Memphis knows exactly what they want to do late in games and they can get to it and they have more options than ever this year. And Utah really hasn't. And that's kind of been a longstanding uh, problem. And it's really helpful when a guy like Mark is your center late in games, and you can leave him on the court and he can space and he can shoot, you know, and he can work in pick and roll situations. And maybe a guy like Gobert has to stay on the court for you. But you know, how limited is he offensively? uh, in sort of a possession game late in the playoffs. I think that'd be a question I would have. And maybe he's making progress offensively. I'm sure he is this season, but that's a different step to take. And certainly you'd rather have Mark in that matchup. I think.
1: Marc Gasol's return to being a legitimate contender for first team All-NBA is amazing. Did I knew it was possible, but I didn't expect it just because of his age and, and his history. And you think, oh, when a guy has a foot injury at that age, he's not going to get back. He has been spectacular this year.
0: Oh, preach it. Yeah. No, I think at at the first quarter mark, I think I had him like sixth on my MVP ballot. And for sure, he's been the best all-around center in terms of impact to me this season. Uh, including guys who might have you know more comical numbers at that position, I-, I think he's been the guy.
1: I would definitely have him over Boogie. The only guy you could make some sort of argument is AD, but that's more of a stats argument than a value to his team. But it's hard because they're in such different situations.
0: Yeah, I- I'd still take Mark for sure. Well, you were mentioning like playoff matchups past that we would want to see. I mean, would you also no, si- would you sign a- up? Would you sign up for a seven game Grizzlies Clippers series?
1: Grizzlies Clippers, Grizzlies Rockets, both ways. Those are series that I would absolutely love. Part of the reason why I would love Grizzlies Rockets is Tony Allen on James Harden.
0: (laughs) Well, I think what we've decided here with our first four tiers is that we basically can't go wrong with almost any (laughs) possible matchup here in the first round.
1: Except if the Thunder get in there and just kind of gum it up a little bit, just because I think, think, well, against basically all of these teams, they're just not at that same tier at this point.
0: Well, maybe the best from an entertainment standpoint would be Rockets 2-seed, Thunder 7-seed, and then, you know...
1: (laughs) We have that battle out. Rockets 2-seed opens up a lot of fun stuff because I like them against a shakier opponent far more than the Spurs because a Spurs series against an inferior opponent is just kind of joyless. It's just methodical. Okay, we're better than you. We're going to work it out. And especially if it was against the Thunder, considering that series they had last year, I I would just kind of feel hollow inside. So yeah, I'm rooting. If that's the way it's going, I'm rooting for the Rockets to get the 2-seed. Yeah, because actually... And that would lead to a more interesting Rockets Spurs series if the Spurs didn't have home court.
0: For sure. I mean, the the chaos potential of Rockets Thunder is off the charts. And you're right. The Spurs just kind of choked the life out of inferior teams. We've seen that when they played the Jazz. They swept them a few years ago. Uh, they got the Grizzlies once in the Western Conference Finals. It was no fun at all. So I'm with you uh, on that as well. Well, what's your next tier? Uh, I'm guessing it's probably a fat one.
1: Ugh. Yes. Yes, it is. So if we're talking... Regular season success, that's one thing different. But let's use playoff ceiling because this is what moves the Thunder down and makes it way more interesting. So if we're going at that level, it's, for me, Thunder, Blazers, Nuggets, Kings, Pelicans.
0: Okay, so I had it slightly different but not that different. So I still had the Thunder in a tier by themselves because I think that they can produce— They can produce an interesting first-round series. I think they're going to lose the first-round series basically no matter what, but it could be interesting. My tier here is teams that are competing for the eighth seed that I don't think are capable of producing an interesting first-round series. Some of that says something about them, and a lot of that says something about the Warriors. And I had five teams. I had Kings, Blazers, Nuggets, Pelicans, and I'm going to sneak the Timberwolves into that conversation, but barely and to be frank, I don't really like any of these teams. I enjoy watching some of them, but I don't necessarily really respect or, or want to make strong arguments on their behalf.
1: I don't either. Do you, Does that mean you you have the Kings as the favorite for the 8th seed, or is that just more that you think their ceiling is a little higher?
0: I actually had this as a pretty much of a wide-open toss-up. I think I could talk myself into any of these teams on a given moment. I mean, there's such a glasses half full versus glasses half empty type of squad. Like just take the Blazers, right? Oh, Lillard comes back. Their offense finally comes together. Uh, They make the one key trade at the deadline uh, and then they surge ahead of this group. Uh, Or you could say the Kings, you know, they get a little bit of a better roster balance at the trade deadline. Uh, They can kind of continue milking Boogie Cousins as one of the best centers in the league. And they can kind of keep the, the wheels from falling off. And they just kind of, even though if they never get to 500, they can just kind of be the fastest team in a very slow sprint. I mean, you can kind of go down the list and make these arguments. Okay, the Pelicans now finally have some guys back healthy. AD's got enough help. Uh, now they're off. I don't know. None of those things are, are really that compelling to me. I guess if if I really had a gun to my head and I had to pick, I would say... I probably trust the Blazers and the Kings more than the other three, but not by enough to separate them into a separate tier.
1: I expected Portland to disappoint off of expectations this year just because expectations were way too high. And the the idea that they were going to improve off of what they did seemed unrealistic considering they were older than people thought and had these structural flaws that could be fixed. I did not expect this. They just look lost. They look lost so much of the time. and. Portland last year was one of my league pass favorites because you knew what you were getting and it was always interesting. A lot of times it was solid defense and just, you know, solid enough. And then offensively, they're just have this potential to explode. And so they're winning a lot of these games, especially against inferior opponents. They're not beating the bad teams anymore. Like they're, that was part of their bread and butter and they are doing it a fair amount, but they're not chomping at the bit like they were last year. And then they're getting better shots from everybody because of, they they have a bigger target on their back as opposed to being the nice story. Now they're the famous team. They're the you know they were so successful last year.
0: Yeah, they're in their own heads a little bit. They're not having very much fun either when you watch them. I mean, it looks like it's a like drag. Like Paul George. Yeah, bingo. And I think, you know, one other thing about the Blazers, you know, every everyone got really mad at George Carl for what he said about Damian Lillard. Uh and it was unfortunate that he kind of went into the off-court oh, ego kind of conversation because what he actually said was right. Like they're not playing together. And that's true. Like their offense is not nearly as fun or as smooth as it was last year. The numbers are still pretty good because, you know, Lillard and and McCollum are such proven scorers at this point, but it's not the silky type of attack that we've seen in previous years. And then defensively, there's no connectivity whatsoever. I mean, these guys are not covering for each other. They've tried to turn it around here recently. There's been a lot of hype about kind of changing their schemes and and being a little bit more aggressive on pick and rolls. But, you know, you're still out there trying to play defense with really poor defensive individual pieces. Uh, So... I thought George Carl actually on a lot of things that he said about Portland was dead on and, and people kind of missed that point to, to attack him. But nevertheless, if you play like the, the the version of this game, which is sort of like, who do you trust the least? Portland should hang around in that conversation for a while before some of these other teams, right? Like, can't you see, you know, the Kings imploding, the Pelicans losing one guy and completely falling apart, uh, the Timberwolves uh, just kind Basically, already
1: have. Yeah.
0: So... I don't know. Well, and not- also,
1: Portland is the clearest, unambiguous buyer in this group. So Portland, they already have everything they're going to need. They already, you know, th- the only issue with them is that I think they're pretty close to the luxury tax line. So they might not want to push over that just because they're going to be a repeater, and so they might not want that. But in terms of using assets and everything else like that, Denver. And if you want to continue the run, and I'm totally open to it, of having wonderful national writer friends gushing about how interesting the Nuggets situation is, because in many ways, it is the most interesting trade deadline situation in the entire league. But the Nuggets could be buyers or sellers. The Kings don't have any assets. The Pelicans have limited assets, whereas the Blazers, it's like, well, what else are they going to do?
0: Yeah, I, I, with the Nuggets to me, I just think they're a couple years away. I mean, I, I you could easily talk me into them making a run at the eighth seat, but I don't think it's going to be a very interesting first round series. I still think that they they're, they're... would do it
1: by circumstance, basically. Like, I, I think they would kind of do it by accident where yeah, they're, exactly. they're good enough and it just it just goes to their level. Some of the teams fall off. Maybe some of them choose to tank. Blazers don't figure it out. Or maybe one of the teams above them, like the Thunder, fall off due to injury. Like, I think that's the way that they get in. And that's why their situation is so compelling, because they have gallo who's going to be an unrestricted free agent this year wilson chandler who's a little bit older and so if if your logic and i agree with your logic is that they're a couple of years away from the best nuggets team those guys are a whole lot less relevant so do they have the front office security courage to make a bold decision with those guys pick up some assets or do they just kind of see if they can stay at this level a little bit and if those guys leave those guys leave yeah what
0: bothers me is that usually in this situation uh teams will just get scared, and they'll go for the eighth seed, and it might not work out, right? And maybe their path will become clearer by the time the trade deadline rolls around. I think the best thing that could possibly happen to the Nuggets big picture is that Portland pulls itself together or Sacramento goes on a run. Somebody kind of separates and claims that eighth seed so that Denver has the cover to make some of the sell-off trades that they should make. I mean, to me, they should be playing for the future. Some of those veterans names that you mentioned should definitely get, you know, put out there as as possible uh bait but i think that and this is sort of what i'm worried about with the kings too is i think the kings are like the happiest team ever uh, to be in a five-team race for the eighth seed because it's the most relevant they've been right in like five or six seven or eight years and that's going to keep them from you know, potentially, you know, ending the DeMarcus Cousins era or really shaking things up in a big time way. And actually, it could make them, you know, swing a trade for a player who's maybe mediocre on a big contract, you know, in a desperate push for that eighth seed that could kind of come back to bite them. And that could be a Brandon Knight. I mean, go down the list of other guys, maybe a Goran Dragic, who they might be targeting in this, you know, pursuit of an eighth seed, which really that shouldn't be their number one goal. But uh, I don't know. I, I could see that. I could see this really weird morass of an eight seed race kind of screwing with some of these teams for years to come.
1: I was just looking at Denver's schedule for the first two weeks of February, and it's absolutely fascinating on this logic. So they have a mix in January, but here's their February schedule. Home Memphis, home Bucks, at San Antonio, home Dallas, at Atlanta, at the Knicks, at the Cavs home against the Warriors, home against the Wolves. I-, I think that the most likely outcome there is that they lose a couple more games than they win. And maybe that's clarifying too. But if they, it, all it would take is swinging like two of those games for them to think, oh, we're in this. And I don't root against anybody, but in that circumstance, I might be rooting against the Nuggets a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, it could even just be that they beat the teams from that list they're supposed to beat, and so they're still under 500 in that stretch. But Portland continues to fall apart, and there's nobody else distancing, and so they they continue to talk themselves into it. Yeah, it really is a strange phenomenon here. I mean, usually we're talking about all the teams making amazing runs at the eighth seed, and now we're talking about all these teams that are kind of backing into it, and, and who wants it the most, you know, and. That's really why I get worried for Sacramento because they're totally the type of team to be like, "Oh man, like this is our year," and really make a foolish like investment. the Bucks two years ago. Exactly. And yeah. in
1: this context, they would also lose their draft pick, which would be—I mean, it's fine, you know—that's not the biggest thing in the world. But there are a whole bunch of different different elements of this for Sacramento. But the biggest part of it, in many ways, is what happens with Boogie because if he—if they basically hold on to him for this year and he doesn't sign this new extension assuming if he qualifies which we really don't know at this point then you're sitting there with the craziest powder keg that the league has had in a couple of years just sitting there because like with the thunder we didn't know we didn't know that was the situation but with boogie he's like he's the best player your franchise has had in the last decade he's going to be an unrestricted free agent he's probably going to leave but he doesn't have that much value around the league because he can't sign that extension with them and he's unpredictable
0: yeah, Portland being terrible this year has really screwed with a lot of these franchises because, again, let's just say Portland was on uh, medium expectations for what people thought, right? Like, the, not the optimist, but maybe not Five the Five games, games
1: over 500, maybe. Yeah. Or even 500. If they I were th- 500, this is an easy conversation.
0: Exactly. And I think Sacramento is really getting geared up to potentially move him, especially considering all the weirdness that was, you know, kind of going on locker room-wise. I think it would be a much easier sell. Now I think you're going to face, you know, a major backlash in Sacramento if you, if you try to trade them by the deadline, right? So that's almost off the table at this point because they're legitimately in this race that nobody wants to win. So I don't know exactly how to handicap this one. I, I guess my, my long-term answer is the eight seed, I think will be decided at the trade deadline. Like I think whoever decides to bite the bullet and buy and, and makes the right buy uh, will be able to come out of this group.
1: The one thing that gives me a little bit of solace for the Kings is that they could get their own clarification because they have this brutal home stretch in January. It's also super weird that both the Warriors and the Kings are basically home for the entire first half of January. That's a strange side note, but I, I'm just amused by it. So they go home against the Clippers, the Warriors, the Pistons, the Cavs, and the Thunder all in sequence. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of losses, doesn't it? It sounds like what got Mike Malone fired. but this team is a little bit better. They're feisty. You know, I don't know which of those teams are on back to backs, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe they win two of those five and just sit there and go, look at that. Look, we beat, we beat the Clippers. We beat the Pistons. Hey, that's great. And maybe they, maybe they go to overtime and maybe they beat the thunder. And so they're sitting there like that. But then at the same point, if they go one and four or something like that, you go, okay, the Kings are who we thought they were.
0: Yeah. I think the problem is that the Kings have always have this like mentality Uh, of hanging on longer than everybody else thinks they should. So what they really needed to happen this season was like an utter disaster or like close to it so that they could really assess the Cousins thing with clear eyes. And instead, it's sort of been, uh, like I said, the best season they've had really during his career, right? And so that just makes them want to cling to him that much more. And I think that that's pretty much the worst possible thing for them long-term, but uh, they probably don't feel that way. And and that's why they're the Kings.
1: Has he, meaning Cousins, Raised his stock very much to you because he's had a nice year, but I don't think that you're sitting there going, "Oh my God, this Demarcus Cousins, he's so different than what we saw before."
0: Uh, I think he's had a better year than I can remember in years past, but it's still not to the point. Like I definitely would rather have Marcus All over him, you know, Anthony Davis over him. I mean, the list to me kind of goes on. I mean, he's a very, very, very talented player, but. The self-control stuff just continues to linger and, uh, you know, it, it bites them in all sorts of different ways. And also just being there and kind of seeing how they interacted with him after a loss, you know, the leadership factor is just tough to see, you know, I mean, nobody wanted to talk to him. The locker room is just super awkward. The reporters there in Sacramento almost seem afraid of him. Uh, He gets into all these very petty beefs, whether it's the Sacramento Bee or the local bloggers there. I mean, these are not things, a top 10 or top 15 type player around the league should ever be involved with. And I think he's his own worst enemy. And I'm sure a lot... I'm not the first person to say that. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at on him. I don't... At this point, it's very hard for me to see the Kings being a team that can be a significant postseason player with him as the main guy, given who else they've got at any point here in the next you know, two or three seasons. And there aren't that many players of his caliber around the league who you're willing to kind of write off their future, right? Like, couldn't you see the Pelicans next season, you know, in a best case scenario being like a top four seed? Like it could happen. I'm not saying it will, uh, but I could talk myself into it. I can just never really see that happening with Cousins. I just think there's too many situations over the years, too much pent up kind of aggravation to ever get there.
1: I could see it in a different organization that had better talent that maybe had more lottery tickets or something but the kings just don't have it in terms of assets right now and they're not a destination for free agents so i can't really see a path forward for them which is part of the reason why i felt they should trade cousins pretty much no matter what even if he was going to come back it was going to be hard for them to get good in that case though you consider just because you can't get a better player cousins is also 26 and while 26 is far from the end of a player's career you start to get a real good sense of what a player's ceiling is and how they're going to age at this point. And I think he'll age fine, you know, as long as he doesn't lose a couple steps. It's not like his defense has been the centerpiece of his value. But the concept of him as the best player on a championship team is maybe not extinguished, but exceedingly close to it. And that also really curtails his value because now you're not as a team, let's say the Celtics, though they got out Horford. You're not saying he can do it with us. You're saying he can be part of it with us.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, now is the winning time. And that's sort of why I thought like this would be a great year for them to move him. It would be better for him to get moved this season uh, before the trade deadline based on his own kind of timeline, both with his contract and with his age. Uh, and I think it would be better for them as an organization to just kind of clean slate. But it doesn't look like we're headed that way.
1: I'm assuming that we know at this point that your, your last year is Mavs, Lakers, and Suns all together.
0: My last tier is Lakers, Mavericks, Suns, the three hopeless amigos. I don't see a big argument for any of those teams to hop up into the next one. I mean the Suns losing to the Clippers or what's left of the Clippers last night pretty convincingly was all the evidence I needed to <laughs> write them off. Uh Dallas just doesn't have the horses, obviously. And then the Lakers have been free falling, and I expect that to continue and the Lakers actually went from like incredibly watchable to really unwatchable so fast. You know, it's just kind of even hard to watch their games at this point.
1: They became a generic bad team pretty quickly. Like before they were there, there's a, a brand of fun bad team. I'm not sure there are any this year, maybe Miami, but Miami's not that fun. They're like where it's a team where, yeah, they suck. The, the best example of it is probably that Oklahoma the Oklahoma City team Russ's first year where they sucked. They were horrible. <laughs> But you enjoyed watching because you could see what they were. This Lakers team is not that right now. And some of that might just be because the support players don't make perfect sense to to actualize that. But they're bad defensively. Offensively, it's a work in progress. I still like some of what they're going to eventually do. I think Luke Walton is exactly the right coach for him. Your idea that he's the millennial whisperer, I still agree with. But they're going to need a lot more. This reminds me a little bit of the year. Was that last year with the Knicks where they went from being just abysmal to being still pretty bad because they got some NBA players, but they still didn't have enough to actually field the team? Exactly. The same thing this year. So they got an NBA coach
0: and yeah, they still had so many young guys. They kind of have to keep playing them. I think that's okay. I mean, the best case scenario for the Lakers to meet this season was if they could possibly keep their pick again. That's amazing. I, it looked really unlikely, you know, as recently as like the start of December that that was even going to be a thing because they were making a run at the eighth seed. But I think this could get ugly enough where they wind up with that scenario. And if so, that puts them as a major player in the offseason, I think, for all sorts of, you know, big names and then uh, maybe, you know, not quite as big names, whether it's free agents or, you know, potential trade pieces. So I'm kind of maybe fatigued on them right now. And part of that too is just Brandon Ingram's not quite ready. Uh, You know, I, I think I described to him yesterday to somebody as like... He's the most aesthetically pleasing terrible player in the league. Like, he's really bad, Isn't, but that, yeah. that's
1: like uh, Audie Josebiter, the Sporting News. I think he's the one who who said about Devin Booker that he has the prettiest jump shot that doesn't go in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Ingram's right there in that same conversation, and he's also like really good at like really smooth and nice turnovers and all the things that you don't want him to do. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're still you know a, a bit away here, and ultimately long term, that's better uh, than this weird year of like expectations going through the roof because they somehow sneak into the eighth seed and now everybody thinks, okay, this team is like ready to do it right now. And I just think Russell and Randall and, and Ingram are all still pretty far away from being big impact guys on on a winning team. And the less pressure and scrutiny they face this year is probably better.
1: The Lakers' worst enemy in this I'll telegraph where I'm going in the second half, their worst enemy is Miami jumping them in the tank because Miami is better than the Lakers, but they have an organizational certainty that if they decide to flip that switch, even though I talked about this with Nate on, on the 15 and 60, I don't know exactly what that looks like. They If they move behind the Lakers and let's say they kind of keep that weight down, then that gets closer to a four-team critical mass that gets hard because the Lakers have to get into the top three. It's certainly possible to do that at five, but it's a lot easier to do it at four.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a real horse race. And it's nice that this horse race didn't really develop like right off the bat. Like it seemed like most of the teams kind of went for it at least for, you know, pretty much until a
1: couple of those teams at the bottom are actually going to try. The Nets don't want to be there. It doesn't make a difference to them if they're going to be the Sixers. If they ever get Ben Simmons back, I think they'll not only have they already been fun, but they'll actually be more competitive. And the Suns, you know, they could be better than they are. They're not horrible. They're just not good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers would be my pick to finish with the worst record in the West. Uh, I think you've kind of identified it. It's, It's how ugly does the bottom of the East get and can they get enough help? Uh, But I think the Lakers will finish as the worst team in the West.
1: The Mavericks are pretty clearly the best team of these three at the bottom, but they also have the best organizational strength, and that could lead them to falling down. But again, it's the same issue as I talked about with Miami, where I don't know what them tanking looks like because two of their best players are incredibly durable wings. So do they? And also they have this weird complication with Darren Williams. So Darren Williams is a local guy, chose to go to the Mavericks, arguably maybe took some sort of pay cut this year to be there. What does he want? Does he want to be traded or bought out so he can play for somebody better for the rest of this year? Do they want to retain because he's going to have a relatively low cap hold and they'll have early bird rights? That's a real complication because if they have Darren, if they have... And if Darren's going to be a free agent, unless he basically agrees to come back to the Mavericks, he's going to want to play. So how they reconcile all this, especially considering they have a great coach is going to be interesting because I've kind of thought Dallas had had the opportunity to tank a couple times before and Carlisle and their team was good enough to not let it happen.
0: Yeah. And they've really uh, ground out a few victories that they probably had no business winning. Like even just to get to 10, that took some serious, (laughs) serious effort. And Um, might cost them Marco Fultz. Yeah. And if they were in the tank mode, they would have a lot fewer than 10 wins right now. It would be my other thing too. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they do the, the sell-off thing or if they start buying guys out and uh, or maybe they just start to restrict, uh, you know, minutes for their major guys and, and let the losses kind of accumulate more naturally. But I think the reason why they're in the sixth tier for me, this this last tier, uh, I just see no ceiling. You know, even though they've played a little bit better more recently, they have a, still have a lot of kind of upward momentum to get into that postseason conversation. I just don't think it's going to happen.
1: There's also no chance that their best players are going to be able to play enough to to re- have them reach their ceiling on a regular season basis. Like they, they can't get that from you can't sit there and go, oh, well, what if Bogut and Dirk play 90 percent of the remaining games? Even if they were healthy, that wouldn't happen.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, that's the West to me. I mean, did we we leave anything out or?
1: No, we did not. Before we move on to the Eastern Conference, a quick word from our friends at Audible. Yeah, I, I think, but the ties in, part of the reason I like going top to bottom, bottom to top is I feel that in some ways the Sixers and the Nets both have the possibility of pushing beyond their current station. I think that's the bottom tier of the East by themselves, but pushing in and making this bottom lottery picture even more interesting.
0: Yeah, my sixth tier in the East was those two and Miami. Uh, and I guess I, I'm operating under the assumption that even if Miami maybe is a cut above them currently- uh, when we're looking out over an 82 game season and, and the decisions that they're going to have to make I think that they're going to be right in that same mix. I guess I just see a sell off coming at some point because I think Pat Riley's smart enough to figure this out, right? Like he you knows how the system works and I just see them kind of racing for the bottom.
1: What do you think that sell off is for them?
0: Uh well it's probably Dragic, you know, that's their main piece. I'm I'm not sure who else that, you know, in terms of their like you got to feel like they're committed to Whiteside, right? I don't love Whiteside as a player, but who are you if you move him? I think that's a major question. And, and so,
1: who wants him that... Basically, I think that there is a theoretical trade for him that's possible, but I have no idea who makes that offer. Yeah, so it's probably sure. the magic.
0: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, but when you look at their other sort of like larger contracts, I'm not sure there's any that you're rushing to get out of. You know what I mean? And I think... And they're younger guys that they committed to last summer. You know they're reasonable as the cap number goes up. It's not you know terrible. Uh, so I think that their their main piece to cash would be Goran, and I think there's you know teams. I mean to me, still Sacramento makes a lot of sense for him. But you know there's some other places I could see him kind of fitting. There's teams that are trying to be a lot better than Miami is currently that could use a point guard.
1: If a franchise is smart and wants to get. A real bang for their buck. They should approach the Heat, if the player is amenable to it, about trying to get one of those one-year guys that they signed that probably aren't going to come back, meaning James Johnson, Deion Waiters, Willie Reed, because the Heat have really no purpose for those guys after this year. They won't have bird rights on any of them, nothing like that, so... What is the point of it? So I can understand why the Heat would love to get a small asset. You know, let's say a '40s pick in the second round for one of those guys. There's no no cost to them for that, and the player might rather be bought out. But do they have enough leverage to basically make that happen?
0: Yeah, I could see waiters moving in a deal like that. Uh, Maybe not for you know a ton, but I I could see somebody saying, "Like
1: the 44th uh, pick in the draft? Why not?"
0: Yeah, for sure. I could see that. Well, then in that case, we're doing a full sell-off of everything. And uh, if that's what it comes to, then they definitely should be in this last tier, you know?
1: Absolutely. And that's what I think is going to happen. I still have them in a separate one. They're in my tier five by themselves. And it is done with the full expectation that they will eventually fall. But since they haven't yet, I'm not going to do it yet. You know, they haven't all the way, all the way had the wheels fall off. So they're my tier five by themselves. And so I think we're going to have a little bit of a stratification here. But my next tier after the heat, is two teams, the Knicks and the Magic. Oh,
0: dead on. That's my fifth tier. The reason why I had them there is that I'm skeptical of both. I could see either with significant help uh, sneaking into the playoffs, but I think the far more likely scenario is they kind of drop from their current standing and things get a little bit uglier, especially in New York's case. I've been kind of uh, waiting for New York's point differential and, and defensive question marks to catch up with them. And Based on Hornacek's comments the last couple of days and, and just how they've been playing recently, I, it sounds like it's starting to catch up and uh, I'm not sure how they reverse that. I just don't think they've got enough on that squad, given how many teams are ahead of them, kind of the process of elimination kind of circles them in my eyes as a team that's going to fall out.
1: The reason I separated them is because they are more likely than not to miss the playoffs. There are other teams that have a serious chance of it, but they're the two that I sit there and go, okay, I would be a little bit surprised if they made it. And it's not impossible, but I would be surprised, especially when you consider the volume of teams above them, because it's not like in the West where it's this army of teams competing for one spot. It's this army of teams that are are in very different places, that are going after different things. And I'm not completely convinced that either the Knicks or the Magic are in the right place to do the buy now moves that some of the other teams might.
0: Yeah, I still have no idea what the Magic are and I'm still convinced that they have no idea who they've been for the last like two or three seasons pretty much straight. I think their GM's got to be on the hot seat in terms of, you know, his future. You know, what's the plan? Like what is he telling ownership and, and his bosses about these moves? I I have no idea. I've never really and, seen anybody ties explain in- what he's trying to do.
1: That ties in with something that I I think is important. I've mentioned this on a few podcasts, but I think it's a point that I will just keep making until something happens is Hennigan is exactly the position where if I were an owner, I would fire my GM right now because you don't want him making these decisions. Even if you don't know where you're going, you don't want somebody who's who's fighting to keep his job to have those decisions.
0: Yeah, and has a track record of spraying talent across the league to other other teams, you know? It's like the trade deadline could get even worse for them. I mean, his summer was pretty rough, but the trade deadline could be even worse depending on who he parts with and, and what kind of trades he makes. So yeah, I hear you on that. That's He's pretty solid. The Magic are pretty solidly in that fifth tier. I think that they're good enough and, and they have enough talent where... I don't see the wheels completely falling off, but I also don't see a real upside to them. They're actually about record-wise and sort of win-percentage-wise where I expected before the season, but that's not saying a lot because they're not very good.
1: I thought their defense was going to be better. I thought they would be a little bit higher than this but not so much so that I'm sitting there saying, oh, it's a a massive disappointment. I thought they would be somewhere in the 36 to 38 win range. 538 now has them at 30, I think at 35, so not a big deal. And the Knicks are almost exactly what I thought they would be. When they're healthy, they're pretty good. When they're not healthy, they fall off a cliff. Their defense is shaky. Their offense is inconsistent. It's all about the same.
0: Yep, for sure. Porzingis has definitely been better than I expected. He's uh, been
1: awesome. And... yeah, the... uh, it, i i i tweeted about this last night it has been because uh, uh Stephen no who who writes about the bulls ha- did this had this little riff about how frustrated he was that the bulls didn't realize what they had in jimmy butler and did all this stuff that runs against him and i feel the exact same way about the bulls and about the knicks with porzingis
0: oh for sure i mean I would, that's what i was killing their whole summer for actually both those teams i was really mad at their summers and for about a month there I was worried that both of them were going to make me look bad, but it's actually settled in pretty much as expected. How much better did Jimmy look when Rondo's off the court? I mean, it's oh. just it's hilarious. And then with Porzingis, Well, uh, and with
1: Jimmy when you add shooting, sorry to interrupt, but when you add McDermott or Miritich or somebody else, like he the team might not be that much better, but he looks a lot better.
0: Yeah, for sure. Look, he's not James Harden, but if you put him in a similar framework and you really did the 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 original Hoiberg plan, which was like you know pace and space it up, Jimmy's numbers would be insane, and I think that they would be a lot better, especially offensively. But in terms of Porzingis, yeah, I didn't see how any of their moves from the offseason, especially their big ones, whether it was Rose or Noah, like how did that make sense through the framework of developing Porzingis and making him the best player he can be, which clearly should have been the, the top goal last summer, but. I mean, again, this goes back to the presence of Carmelo Anthony. Now you have to try to balance winning now versus making the most of his kind of late prime versus developing Porzingis and all these other things. When there was a very clear major goal that should have been the number one priority, that just wasn't.
1: I would extend this to Courtney Lee because Courtney Lee's 30. Yeah. <laughs> what are you getting from him? He, he's a nice player. I like Courtney Lee a lot. He would have been a nice fit if he'd been able to stay on the on the Hornets. Because he's a good player, he can he can help out a stable piece, but you can't throw your resources, especially if you're in a major market where cap space is actually an asset, on somebody who makes you marginally better now who is not going to age well in that contract.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think there's going to be a, a reckoning on some of these guys where come trade deadline... You know they're not super happy with how New York's plan came together. They're realizing that you know Rose probably isn't a long term solution. So what's the next version going to look like? So you know I think that we could see some fireworks from New York. Uh, you know if they the could get the
1: out of any of these guys without giving up much in the way of assets, they should do that as they like, they should do that as fast as they can. Like if they can get Courtney Lee, but say back to the Hornets, if they can get him somewhere else just to clear that money, that would be great. They're not going to get that with Noah unless somebody's unbelievably stupid and i don't even think the mav the magic are there so yeah not even vlade he, uh not yeah, even I vlade I, so yeah like I, I, that, could, he's, I,
0: I could definitely see courtney lee going for sure that would be know, great
1: I, if, I if they could, could it. pull it off and i like courtney lee like this isn't a courtney lee is a bad basketball player who should feel bad this is courtney lee doesn't make any sense for the knicks with where the knicks should be so free up his money do something else with it sign uh, drew holiday bingo uh, so that was my fifth tier. So that means I'm assuming that you're going to, that means you're kind of the, the middle group you split into Is that correct? So the gigantic
0: glut of basically seven teams, I split into two groups and I basically did it on the, the same test of who do I trust and, and kind of a process of elimination. So my next tier, the fourth tier, which is that's teams I don't trust quite as much. I have the Pacers, Bulls, Hawks, and Pistons. Interesting that's my four and with which leaves my third tier as teams I trust a little bit more as the bucks hornets and wizards and I I really flirted with making the bucks a tier by themselves because I actually trust the bucks more than all of these other teams uh, in this pack combined. And it's not just the Giannis hype, although that's really starting to build and everybody should read Lee's story if, if they haven't. I just think those guys are pretty good. And I think that they're starting to figure it out. Jabari's coming along. I mean, there's so many questions, just basic identity questions to a lot of the teams that are in this group. And I think the Bucks pretty much know who they are. And it's tantalizing. And I want it to happen. Like, I, I want that to be a team that surprises everybody wins a first round series.
1: I love the Bucks. I think they're a little, I, I'm less confident in them than you are, but really in that group, I only have them below the Hornets. So what I did is I made them all one group because of the surprise test. I just thought it was, I thought it was too complicated to separate them out especially considering the my faith in almost all of those teams, basically everybody outside the Hornets and Bucks, vacillates by the day. So I just made a giant seven-team tier and didn't separate it. And it's brutal because I like some of those teams some days, like the Wizards have had some really The Wizards, last night, was a great encapsulation. So we're recording this on Tuesday. They played the Rockets. They were really good in that first quarter, looked some of the best basketball they played, and then they just got outclassed by the Rockets the rest of the game. So that happens. And you can lose to the Rockets. They're a much better team than the teams in these in this tier. So I think that we will know a little bit more by a month from now. But I'm not sure we'll know anything definitive on any of these seven teams by then, which is both terrifying and fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about an interesting trade deadline to set up decisions for the GMs on all those teams, right? You could talk yourself into winning a first round series with a move potentially, or you could talk yourself into falling way out and it's just completely jello i mean almost all these teams could go either way uh the one thing i do like about the wizards is their best five like their starters are pretty solid i think that last time i checked they were like plus nine i'm not sure if they still are but that's a group where they're starting to figure it out they seem like they like each other a little bit better than they did at the start of the season I think that some of their underperformance early was sort of personality related, uh, maybe more so than strategic and Wallace getting back up to where he's been. Of course, everything they do hangs on Beal, which is not great in terms of his health. But they've also won a playoff series in the past and were pretty close to a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals with a similar core. Obviously, their bench is terrible. Is that something they could fix at the deadline, at least just add one more competent piece and, and kind of shore up their spot? The Hornets, you know, they don't strike me as a team that's much better or much worse than they were last season. If their year plays out exactly as it did last year, I wouldn't be surprised. And then the the hardest team for me to peg, though, I think is the Bulls, because I was on the get rid of Rondo thing as soon as they signed him. I mean, I thought that was just an atrocious move. You,
1: I think you were the first, you and Nate were the first two people on that train, but basically before it even was built, you were already on it.
0: Well, yeah, not, I mean, I, not that I plagiarized myself from the previous year, but I've given his signing an F the last two years and whoever signs him next year, if it's for more than the minimum, will also get an F. I mean, the evidence is just so clear and these GMs try to talk themselves into it. And Hoiberg, apparently with his job on the line, made the smart move, which was just get Rondo off the court and see what happens. And all of a sudden they look a little bit better. So does do the Bulls have a little bit of upside that they haven't shown yet based entirely on you know, Rondo not being a part of things that could very well be. So maybe they, they they're they the team of that next pack that I could see jumping up into the th- my third tier. Uh, but Indiana, I just don't think they have any idea who they are. Paul George sounds miserable. You know, they're probably ready for a retooling. I mean, it seems like they've been retooling for like three straight summers, but that could happen again. And then the Hawks, again, basic identity questions. Like what were they good at two years ago? They're not good at those things anymore. Uh, what are they better at now than they were previously? Uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think they should sell Paul Millsap at the deadline and and punt the season. And then Detroit, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson kind of came back to earth, and they overachieved last year, kind of hit the plexi the plexiglass principle, and they're you know back kind of uninspiring and could easily miss the playoffs. So I don't know. That's kind of how I see that middle pack. My big takeaway though is I really want to believe in Milwaukee. Like I want Milwaukee to be that team if they can get Middleton back. I know that's a big if, you know, and playing well down the stretch and Giannis continues to play like he has, which I don't think that's a flash in the pan. Like, I think he's really established himself at this new level. To me, he's the guy who's made the biggest jump in terms of the player rankings like we do at the top 100 every year. I think he's going to have the single biggest jump of any player uh, from last year. Uh Embiid. Really, yeah. Oh, that's true. Embiid was not on the list.
1: But maybe that doesn't count. Because he wasn't an established commodity.
0: Yeah, actually since he was a since he's a rookie this year, he wasn't even eligible for being picked. But yeah, he's gonna start up pretty high on that list. But in terms of Giannis really taking a jump into the say the top fifteen or twenty, that's sort of what's what's powering my Bucks optimism. And they've got some nice pieces around him. I just think it fits a little bit better than some of these other teams in this mix.
1: I don't expect this to happen because I expect the Bucks to be better than this, but I am just already imagining the rage that would fill Raptors fans if it ended up being a Bucks-Raptors series in any round, and just having all of basketball Twitter rooting against the Raptors. (laughs) Like, if that was the 2-7, if that was the 2-7, you would have basically everybody outside of Ontario just actively hating on the Raptors. And I've been thrilled with the Raptors in their season, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but... That would be a series I would like to see. Also, Bucks Cavs would be great. They've already had some games this year. I'm with you 100% on that. If Middleton comes back, it adds a whole, a whole different development to this. And I had been of the mold for a long time that the best thing that could happen to Milwaukee was scuttling a little bit this year and getting another good player because it's just so hard for them to add talent. But that's not realistic anymore. Now, with that out of the way, you just want them to have the best season possible.
0: Yeah. In terms of the playoffs, I think the best possible situation is Milwaukee gets the four of the five. They win. So they get Cleveland in the second round. So that gives you an awesome first round series with Milwaukee, a great story for them being on the come up, and then an awesome second round series uh, with Cleveland from an er entertainment perspective. Then I think you know that would also set up you know Toronto and Boston potentially as a second round series, which I think would have a lot of interesting wrinkles to it, especially if they start competing for talent at the trade deadline. you know that could be you know really something to get excited about and then I think that would ultimately set up kind of a top heavy Eastern Conference finals, which is what you always want to see when LeBron's playing defense on his Eastern Conference crown for like seven straight years, right I think that's the best case uh you know layout for the top eight
1: the Raptors millsap thing would make so much more sense if they had a future asset instead of Pirtle, but it still is is really interesting and also gets into the idea of how frustrating it is that Orlando isn't doesn't really seem to be dangling Serge Ibaka because one of those two at a place like the Raptors would be a really good thing for them, even if the assets aren't perfect. And it'd be a lot easier if there were two options considering the nature of how you have to find the right assets and teams with the right interest and everything like that. And both of those players seem like there's a very real chance they're going to leave their current place and could totally change this playoff picture. Maybe not in terms of like who wins the conferences, but just in terms of how we feel about it. Oh, for sure.
0: No, that's my number one wish for the new year was that Millsap goes to either the Raptors or the Celtics, however you want to work it out, so that we can have like a legitimate Eastern Conference finals. Uh, Okay,
1: I think I just figured this out. Somehow we need, as much as I like Al Horford, we get Millsap to the Celtics, nerland's Noel to the Celtics, and get Al Horford somewhere else that is also still a good team.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to arms race this things up now, it sounds like. Well, hey, here's one thing you just mentioned in Ibaka trade. And we were talking about Denver kind of maybe trading for the right reasons or not trading for the wrong reasons or so forth. Do you think that the price they gave up to get Ibaka will make trading him at the deadline more difficult? In other words, the, the face-saving aspect of it?
1: If they have the same GM, yeah, absolutely. I think that's why they won't trade him at all. It's because it's just too complicated. If if Hennigan's still trying to save his job, you can't trade Ibaka for a low return.
0: Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, I don't know.
1: That's why you fire him. That's why you get a new GM in there. Tell him they can trade Ibaka.
0: I'm with you. Hey, if you had your choice, who would you rather have in Toronto, Ibaka or Millsap?
1: Millsap, he's a better player. I think he fits their personality more. And Millsap, I believe, would be more okay with being pliable in terms of his own shots and his own opportunities for that Ibaka chafed a little bit it seemed like at that in in the Oklahoma City yeah he ended up you know he didn't push his way out he got pushed out everything like that but Millsap would be so happy for the opportunity I think he would be a great fit and I think I just I just like the idea of him meshing with Kyle Lowry and DeRozan I think that makes a lot of sense and I actually at this point and this is amazing to say just like two years after what just happened but I trust Millsap more defensively.
0: Yeah, it all comes down to the defensive fit for me. And I think if you're trying to mac, uh, match up with Cleveland's front line, you can't do much better than Millsap when it's guys like, you know, somebody who's going to have to s- spend time on LeBron, Love, and Tristan Thompson, you know, at various points of a playoff series. I mean, to me, that's Millsap uh, for sure. So that's really what it would well, boil that, down. But that
1: said, remember who the center was in the Mega Megadeth lineup? Oh, and yeah. And that was Serge Ibaka.
0: So. Yeah. I, I guess my question with Ibaka is, can he still be that same guy defensively? And then, true, uh, does that you know does that lineup when you're not surrounded by Kevin Durant and the other guys that Oklahoma City had, and you're surrounded by you know a fairly unimpressive front line, I would say, with Toronto, uh, does it work quite as well? I'm not sure, but yeah, in, in terms of personality offensively, I think Millsap would be a great fit there. Uh, and also, I also would just really like the super small lineups they could potentially run out, where like Millsap plays five. Uh, and then you you know you're just spacing as absolutely much as possible around their two guards. I think that would Carol be Carol
1: Powell at the forward spot, something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: God, if they had a different, I I like Dwayne Casey. I admire the job that he's done there. But there is some experimentation that has not been done with that team that would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, he's dabbling with the four guard thing, which is something that I was thinking about last year at times and that's fun to see but you know it's really hard to complain with what they've done you know i mean you really look at their talent base like should they be as good as they are and and so much of its continuity and those guys kind of playing together year after year and and knowing exactly how they're going to score and the offensive efficiency stuff Uh, but if they don't add a serious front line or front court defender i don't see how they get over the hump against cleveland i think they just have to do it and i don't understand all these uh, counter arguments that are being made of like oh don't blow it up or Uh, You know, don't sacrifice too many assets, you know, that are kind of coming from the Raptors nation. Uh, Forget that. I mean, now's the time to do it. Lowry's not going to be this good forever. In fact, he might not ever be this good again after this season.
1: You have to do for the right guy, but you also should try your best to do it because you don't get this many opportunities and being good, but not threatening is a fine place to be, but not nearly as fun. You know, I I would trade, I, I would trade three years of the three seed for one or maybe one and a half shots at the crown.
0: Absolutely. And I also think like you don't have a choice for how long Kyle Lowry is going to be this good, right? Like it's very likely two years down the road, uh, halfway through his next contract, he's a much different player just based on his age curve and, and everything else. Now is the time to do it. And what are the odds you're going to get a player who's as good as Kyle Lowry is right now? You know, I'd probably have Lowry, you know, top seven or eight in the MVP conversation currently. Like, what are the odds that they're going to get somebody else that good? And what are the odds that once Lowry takes a step back, somebody like DeRozan or their other supporting cast members are going to be able to pick up the slack? I mean, I just don't see it. I think they're, as, they're really as good as Lowry takes them. Uh, so for that reason, you know, maximize it right now. I'm not sure how vulnerable Cleveland is this year. I mean, you might be taking your shot against a a team that's just always going to beat you, but at least take it.
1: Agreed. Before we move on to the cream of the crop in terms of the Eastern Conference, I want to tell you a little bit about the cream of the crop in terms of food delivery, Blue Apron. It's absolutely fantastic food delivery service. And there are a lot of different reasons that you can enjoy it. Those of you who've listened to Real Jam Radio for a while have heard me talk about a lot of them. But this time I want to talk just about the idea that it's really good food. Just had an amazing honey, soy, cod with a nice rice combination on it. And it, it was just a great meal. Yes, it was partially because, you know, it was great to cook it and that, that kind of experience. But also because it's incredibly high quality ingredients with very straightforward instructions. And it's a great way to have a nice meal, build that sense of community if, if that's what you like. Or you can do it for yourself. No problem. Either way. And... You get it. It's it's well-portioned. There is no food waste, which is important to me. And I've talked before about how the seafood is often a highlight for me. It is something that I never really loved in my adult life and have really started appreciating through Blue Apron. I think it's the quality of the ingredients that really does shine through. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try out Blue Apron. Go to www.blueapron.com slash And you get three meals for free, including free shipping on your first order. So you can try it out, see if you love it as much as I do. I feel like it is, it really is a highlight of just about every week when I not only get to pick what's coming, but then also get to cook it and most importantly, get to eat it. So I hope you feel exactly the same way. Again, it is blueapron.com slash real GM. One big question that I'm absolutely fascinated by, and I hope that we don't have to answer it because I hope they get better, is full strength versus full strength as presently constructed, so not predicting what happens in the next couple months. Who, If, if it were a 2-3 series, let's say we don't know who has home court, would you expect the Celtics to win or the Raptors to win?
0: I would actually take the Celtics still. You know, I think Toronto, I mean, they really... <laughs> They really lucked out last year's postseason. You know, I think that they had multiple times where they could have lost uh, along the way. They grinded out some ugly ones. You know, I think, you know, Lowry, as great as he just said, you know, as as I just said that he is. I mean, if you have a lot of defensive on-ball talent in Boston, you can sick on him. You probably have the coaching advantage, probably have the versatility and the depth advantage uh, in terms of lineups you know, they've, they're they going to have to contain Isaiah Thomas, who I think is taking his game to a different level. I don't necessarily love either one of those teams right now as like a long-term, you know, playoff team, but I think I would just barely give the edge to the Celtics.
1: It's brutally close. And that's exactly why the Raptors should push like all get out to get the number one seed if it's even possible, because then they might not have to face both of them. And even just have a more secure line at the conference finals. I still don't expect them to beat Cleveland, but they can do that. Boston just has great personnel a lot of what I had been sounding the alarm for how the Pacers could beat the Raptors because I just saw it from a personnel standpoint, the Celtics are that with better guys. And so so they can go through it. And that ties in with the other question that obviously it's way too early to think about this, but I'm of the idea of like, who is going to be the best player on the Celtics next year that is not on the Celtics right now. And there are so many options and they better get at least one of them, but I'm fascinated by what that could be.
0: Yeah, the biggest disappointment for, will be for me if both these teams sit out the trade deadline. Because, I mean, number one, Boston, they're just always in the rumor, so it's time to do something big. And they've got the pieces to do it if they need to. And then, you know, number two, Toronto, like we said, this is their time to buy. I mean, never has there been a, probably in the entire history of the franchise has there been a better moment to buy than right now. And then number three, like, the divide is so clear. Like, the gap between the first tier, which is Cleveland, the only, the only team left here in the East, and that second tier... Is massive. You know, I actually think it's probably bigger than the gap in the second tier uh, in the West. So, what more motivation, timing, uh, or circumstances do you need to do something? If they both sit it out, I'll be really, really, really ticked off.
1: It would be infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. And Boston has a, a much greater chance of doing something in free agency. So, it would be less irritating. But they also could be the beneficiary because they have more flexibility in the front court. Like that's why I brought up the idea of Nerlens. Like they could get Nerlens without giving up too much. And yeah, they would have to pay him and it would tie up a bunch of other stuff. But how awesome would it be to just have that kind of a ceiling guy on your on your squad? There are other talented players around the league and they have so many assets. They could throw menial assets in and get some cool stuff.
0: Yeah. And I also think one reason not to wait. And to just do it now is because look at how many guys they have as big time performers who are on super cheap contracts right now. That party is going to end at some point, right? Like you're going to have to pay up for a lot of these rotation guys. And some of them do do they
1: want to be the team that does that? I mean, maybe if they wanted to be really bold, like that was an idea or both of our pal, Kevin Pelton brought up, but your former podcast partner about the idea of maybe the nuggets are buyers and sellers. Maybe the Celtics could do that too.
0: Yeah. I I just think now is the time to do it. I don't want to hear about next summer. I want right now. (laughs)
1: especially because it doesn't look like some of the most interesting players that could have been on the trade market next summer are going to be on the trade market. Jimmy Butler, I would be shocked if he was on the market unless Boston just gave up a mint for him. Harden is not on the market from what I can tell. He's not going to be on the market at all. So yeah, maybe you get Gordon Hayward. That would be fun. I would really enjoy that. But outside of that, I don't think there are going to be many of those like all star caliber guys that are going to be on the market. So maybe Boston is left holding the bag again. Maybe they have the best set of assets, but it doesn't matter because if none of the anomaly players move, then you're just sitting there.
0: Yeah, let me ask you this, too. Like, do you think the new CBA, once it starts to kick in and and the extensions and the, the hometown advantage that was kind of given to teams that are going to have star players in terms of being able to keep them? Do you think that that is going to lead a team like Boston to be more proactive on the trade market to be like, look, you know, the odds that we're going to be able to pull a Horford again uh, in free agency or really make the most out of our summer in terms of free agency acquisitions has now changed. Like the calculus has changed. It's more difficult to make that work. We have to explore a different avenue, even if that means overpaying or sweetening the pot or putting together multiple assets more than we might have two years ago. I could see that being a ramification.
1: It should, but maybe after the summer, because if they could get Hayward, then that's a huge possibility. And you never know. Maybe he does. There is, there are all those sorts of reasons with the connection with Brad Stevens, the Celtics arguably being a, being a really good team. I don't think they're better than the, full strength, full strength. I don't think they're better than Jazz, but the Jazz have a lot of other complications. And the Celtics have a ton of assets. Like if they could get Hayward, then they could pitch him on the idea of, Hey, look at all these assets we have. We can throw those into making this team better. And so, yeah, the Jazz have Rudy. They have, Rodney Hood, but look at what we can do with another top five pick and all this kind of stuff. So that's a possibility. And also, so, so yeah, I would say if they, if they strike out this summer, you do that, but also it is totally dependent on opportunity. Like if the right guy comes around now, I feel like they, they have to strike at it because it is such a narrow pool next summer. It's basically Hayward, maybe, maybe one or two other guys are bust. So if you have the, if you have it and it's within your price range, go for it. Don't hesitate.
0: What about Paul George in this trade conversation?
1: He's the one exception. So I think George is a possibility. I also, especially given his recent comments, he looks like somebody who has a good head on his shoulders and understands that kind of this is a parallel with Durant, that he only has a limited amount of time to really be at this level. And so if I'm Boston... You try to give him those assets to try to convince him there because they will be at a disadvantage in free agency with him, even though they could be quite good just because it's you know it's not a marquee matchup. He's a guy who grew up in L.A. or outside of L.A., but warm weather, all that sort of stuff, You know, has been in Indiana. So I would go after him in the near term and hope that you can resign him so he could kind of be that calibrator piece. But again, it ties in with what Larry Bird wants to do.
0: Yeah, I think that that'd be a guy I would as i'm saying get out in front of it all this other stuff and throw tons of stuff at indiana try to peel them off uh, and see if that works i it's so hard to envision hayward breaking everybody's heart in utah i mean that is one where it's so i mean it the fit is so natural in boston but then just the personality side of it uh, would he do that like the only team he's known finally they build up into this playoff team
1: but it's, remember that they made him sign an offer with another team
0: yeah that's true i mean and and, and remember
1: that so my rule with this this uh, one of the many examples of how LeBron leaving Cleveland honed my idea of free agency is that we we never know anything about a guy's preferences until his first unrestricted free agent year because they haven't ever had to put their money where their mouth is. So there's a logic from a basketball perspective that Gordon Hayward shouldn't leave Utah. This isn't necessarily a loyalty thing. This is also a basketball thing. But the Celtics are dangerous because they have a lot of good arguments too.
0: For sure. Okay, that's my second tier. rappers and Celtics. Who did you pick in the in the hypothetical series? Did you have a pick?
1: Boston. Okay. They're defensive players. Like you you brought up the near misses for the Raptors last year. Like I think that Boston is in many ways a better form of those teams. Like the Pacers were just so flawed last year and they were good. You know, like George Hill was awesome. They had a lot of players that did really well. The Celtics just have more ammunition. They have more talent. And also, if you compress the rotation and have a good coach, I think they can do well. But it's close. And the Raptors have been a wonderful story this year. I feels like I spend a lot of time ripping on them, but that's just because I don't have them at the same tier as the Cavs. But that's where I have it right now.
0: Yeah, I think Boston's defensive ceiling or their true defensive ability is higher than their current ranking. And I'm not sure I can say that about Toronto. Like Dwayne Casey.
1: Can they stop anyone?
0: Yeah. That, that And that's, and that's a question that Dwayne Casey asked me like in an interview, you know, he's like, you know, we've got to get better. Uh, and he it sounded like significantly better. And I think, you know, seven game series, that's been an issue for them before. Uh, so that's why I took Boston too. Okay. Well, that leaves Cleveland, right? As the the sole yeah. survivor.
1: However, I will note that if we were doing this on just regular season success, I would actually have Cleveland and the Raptors together, with the reason being that without J.R. Smith for basically the whole rest of the regular season and the Cavs just not caring that much, I could totally see them falling to the two seed.
0: Yeah, the gap between them in terms of regular season record, I think, is much closer than the gap in theory or the gap in May or June. I'm really hard pressed to talk myself into Toronto as currently constructed doing as well as they did in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, again, uh, against this Cleveland team. And I think so much of their success in that series was basically Cleveland taking their foot off the gas uh, at various points. So... I don't know. I, I don't see a lot of intrigue, and that's why I'm pushing so hard for trade deadline activity from this second tier. Because, you know, with or without JR Smith, I pretty much bet the house on Cleveland in a playoff series against either one of those teams.
1: I enjoy watching Cleveland because they're a wonderful basketball team, and LeBron is one of my favorite players to watch in the league, but they're Legitimately not that interesting right now because they don't have anything to prove. They know what they are. They'll be a little bit fun at the deadline and buyouts just because they have all these dead roster spots. And if they can actually do something with it, which they need to probably to be super competitive against the Warriors. I mean, they'll, they'll give the Warriors a, a good series and can certainly win it no matter what, but they can really, you know, nudge it that like 5% that they, that would really help with some good proactive moves. But outside of that, we know what they are and that in some ways, for a good team, the best praise you can ever get is not being that interesting of a regular season team.
0: Yeah, and actually, you just brought up another fourth great reason for Toronto and Boston to make a deal in addition to the ones that I said earlier, which is Cleveland's not about to sit around and just wait it out. I mean, they've made some pretty big midseason moves each of the last two years, whether it was the Mozgov edition, whether it was the, the Waiters trade two years ago, and then last year, adding Channing Frye was, you know, a stroke of genius, so... We expect them to be active again. How much can they really do? That's a question. But certainly, they're going to be looking to add, you know, depth and maybe weak spots. Whether it's back a point guard, extra wing, uh, you know, whatever it might be, where they've they've kind of faced some injuries. And you know, guys are going to sign up for that because look how well that's worked out for uh, some of their vets already these last couple of years. So if you're Toronto and Boston, that's just one more reason to make a move. I mean, you can't let Cleveland exit the trade deadline and, and the buyout season having extended that gap. I mean, you have to close it.
1: The buyout season is going to be fascinating this year because there are a few legitimate options for, for players and the choices will be strong. You know, I'm not saying the players who get bought out are going to be strong, but the Warriors, the Cavs, and a couple of the other ones, depending on what position you play, are going to actually have the possibility of playing time. And Joe Johnson serves as this line in the sand of like, okay, you can actually do this, leave money on the table and, and do something with it. And partially because I cover the Warriors and it'll be really exciting. But the part of this that you can't predict right now, and I'm super excited for is will we see another kind of Joe Johnson? I don't expect it because uh, the the structure of contracts this year is very different, partially due to the cap spike already happening and a lot of the way everything was timed. But will a good player, a rotation caliber player, leave money on the table because they either want to play somewhere else or because they think they can make more from it in the long term?
0: Yeah, well, you always want to look at the teams that are just completely out of it to, to kind of target those guys. You did mention one interesting name with Darren Williams.
1: Uh Boget's you
0: know, another one. Boget for sure. You know, I'm going down these rosters right now. What about Minnesota? You know, I'm not really sure there's anyone there. I,
1: I floated Jordan Hill in something. Jose Calderon is a possibility. And then the one who this is another example of a guy who shouldn't be bought out, but something should happen with him is PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker yeah. just deserves better than what he has right now. And I think, in some ways, the Warriors' like worst nightmare in the in the small in the small sense. Not obviously, there are bigger things that could happen. Would be if the Cavs can use their trade exception in Chetty Osman to get PJ Tucker, because he would help them a lot. Yeah,
0: I've also seen some uh, PJ Tucker to Clippers speculation on Twitter. That makes sense, you know. In terms sure. of if it, he
1: if he gets straight up bought out, that would be a logical place. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty logical. There are also, and and Nate's brought this up a few other people, it's a a great point that because of the way that proration happens, if a guy is focused more on near-term money than long-term money, there are a lot of teams that just never use their room exception, and that doesn't prorate at the same speed that the minimum contract does. So those guys, like this is what happened to David Lee last year with the Mavericks, they can get a lot of money that way. And a few teams, like I think the Wizards are one offhand, maybe even the Rockets still have theirs, could be fascinating options as well. There you
0: go. So, I'm not sure any of those names that we mentioned rose to the level of Joe Johnson, though.
1: No, I agree with you. So, so. the last thing is because I'm semi obsessed with what he could be, if you could pick a place for Nerlands to end up on February, you know, let's say March 1st, he's on a different team, where would you want him? I mean, you made a pretty
0: convincing argument that, you know, Boston, and I think in terms of, you know, filling a hole, I, Cause you want him to have the real opportunity to, to reach his earning potential. That's part of it for me is cause I feel like Philly probably screwed him over harder than they screwed any of their other players. And this is where like a guy like KJ McDaniels, like he really had this, he was the only one who kind of figured this out, right? Like you should have been really annoying during the process and snuck your way out because it wasn't going to end very well for lots of guys. And I think it's probably been the worst for New of any individual player, um, just dealing with you know so many wasted years. So I want him to go to a place where he can really maximize his earning potential. I think Boston would be, you know, number one a place where they could really use him. Uh and also he would have the benefit of a of a, you know, potentially a significant postseason run. But I think even more than that in terms of like a long-term home. I'm really on board with the whole, you know, New Orleans to Portland talk. They're bigs, they don't have a long-term solution in that front court. I think all those guys could be gone. Basically at any moment, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Plumley, obviously they're stuck with Myers Leonard, but he's never going to be a starting center. Azili, you know, his career is in question at this point uh, Ed Davis, not a long-term option. Noah Vonley hasn't figured it out uh, in terms of like minutes, impact, opportunity, and then also potential for a long-term hole, uh, you know, filling a hole and getting a, a really nice second contract. I think Portland fits, you know, all of those kind of categories I guess if I could just wave the magic wand, I'd say Portland because I think that they would value him too. Uh, And he's a guy who needs a second chance. And Portland's a a team that really needs to take chances on guys who need second chances. So that'd be a pretty good mix.
1: Those are both my top two for for pretty obvious reasons. Portland, he transforms that team and Boston gives him the chance to transform his own value. Two others that are in the as-is category that would be very interesting, New Orleans, where he should have been in the first place next to AD. It gives, it gives Davis a lot of cover in terms of defense. You can, like, that's just an awesome potential. And Minnesota for exactly the same reasons. Minnesota is not going to happen, but I would just love to see him with Towns. Then the two teams, and this is the group that I enjoy the most and absolutely will not happen, are teams that do not need New Orleans Noel right now, but it would be great if they needed him in the near future. And that is Sacramento, because he would be a nice replacement. Basically, he's what they wanted Willie Colley-Stein to be. So when they trade Boogie, they have a defensive anchor and they can work around that. And you're not, you can't get a guy with his ceiling very often. And then the other one, I floated this idea to somebody recently, I wish I remembered who, is Miami. Because I would love to see what they could do with Nerlens as their centerpiece if they could find a ticker for Whiteside.
0: So he would become their new franchise center. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to really blow it up, I guess that would be an interesting way to go. That's like two steps ahead. I feel like it is.
1: Uh, I don't think they're going to do it. But again, part of part of the fun of talking with you and talking is, is just going through that idea. But I've been toying with that in my head of like the kind of the three dimensional chess idea is trading Hassan Whiteside and replacing Hassan Whiteside at the same time.
0: Well, that's a really interesting question is like, what's Hassan Whiteside's actual trade value when you take into account his contract and his personality and all of that? I wonder if it would be a lot lower than a lot of people think, you know, like all the things that people say about... Yeah, that's what I was going to say is all the things that people use as knocks against DeMarcus Cousins, which, you know, of course, there's going to be some knocks for a guy with his history, I feel like are all applicable to Whiteside and probably because his talent level isn't quite where Cousins is. You know, it probably changes the entire equation.
1: It is a legitimately interesting situation also because Whiteside, his contract, there are a couple of these guys, uh, actually, Anis Kanter is another one of those guys, who it's his deal isn't as long as people think. So he only has two more guaranteed years after the season at a combined about 49 million. And then he has that $27 million player option. So it's not horrible. It's not like you're sitting there going, oh my God, like like Noah, where you're sitting there going, how are we going to pay this guy? The best... Idea with that would theoretically be trading Whiteside to a team that was largely capped out but had expiring contracts. So maybe because of the way the cap is increasing, it wouldn't push them into the luxury tax. I don't know offhand who that would be, but those would be the areas that I would pursue of a team. Maybe you could put New Orleans in this group, though I don't like the fit of of Hassan with Davis, where they're not going to have the ability to go after Max guys, so you're saying they're going basically he's our free agent, and in those kind of circumstance, maybe you make it work like Sacramento, incidentally, if they traded boogie would be another circumstance for that,
0: yeah, or I wonder what about Portland, you know, depending on what pieces they move, I mean, would they be able to talk themselves into oh, him as man. their
1: as
0: like their fourth guy or their third guy I mean, maybe
1: oh you you made me way too excited with that possibility because <laughs> I mean granted, but- I think the their offense would be super crazy, maybe. Oh, I'm just thinking about the possibility of them moving so basically, you undo some of the worst off seasons. You trade Alan Crabb to the Nets, use that space to get Hassan Whiteside, and then basically give Miami cap space and and some other stuff which maybe they use to get Nerlands.
0: well. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, clearly that's what the note that we should end on probably. I'm Abs- not sure absolutely. we're going to get more intriguing than that.
1: <laughs> it, it won't, uh, but thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, good times, Danny. Always nice to
0: talk to you and uh, uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Thanks again to Ben Goliver for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Sports Illustrated and you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golliver. That's B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Loved having him on and great to do this tiers thing. I'm excited about doing it once a month. We'll probably have it, again, sometime early in February, still working on a guest and everything like that. You could also listen to the podcast I did with Lee Jenkins, Ben's cohort at Sports Illustrated. Released that, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday. Great conversation about Giannis and the league's young stars. You can find that however you listen to Real Jam Radio this time. You should be able to find it there or in whatever podcast player you choose to use. We'll keep on going in a mix of different directions. It's part of what I enjoy most about Real Jam Radio. Probably going to do some team-specific stuff and also general league things, working through kind of where exactly I want to go over the next few weeks, even before the trade deadline. So you can send your input, good, bad, and different, to Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com or at DannyLarue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, Appreciate all of that. It is sometimes how I how I get ideas for various things. A lot of it also comes from my own contacts and availability, but I do appreciate it. And if you want to support the show, you can subscribe, download every episode, leave a rating, leave a review, whatever podcast player you have. It's great if it's iTunes because that matters a little bit more, but really whatever you use, it's great. Also spreading the word via social media, in person, whatever whatever you want to do. Really do appreciate that. People did a, a nice job of sharing the Lee Jenkins podcast, and I really do appreciate that. And the other way that you can support Real Jam Radio is through our sponsors. Sponsors for this episode are ZipRecruiter. You can post jobs for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Audible, the amazing listening experience, audiobooks and, and the like. Audible.com slash now. And then you also are good friends at Blue Apron. You can the fantastic food delivery service, three meals for free, including free shipping on your first order, www.blueapron.com slash real Thanks to all of them for coming on. Thanks to all of you for listening. Take care and make it a great day.